Good evening, friends and family. I want to thank you for joining us as we uh, take a look at the cross tonight in this uh, special celebration, or really remembrance of what Christ did for us on the cross on that Good Friday. You know, one of the, the things that people look at and pay a lot of attention to are oftentimes people's last words. And uh, there's a few that I was going to kind of bring you tonight to kick things off. The first one is the last words of actress, actress Joan Crawford. She yelled at her housekeeper who was praying for her and said, damn it, don't you dare ask God to help me. Buddy Rich had a little bit more uh, encouraging but uh, maybe funny words uh, when he passed away in 1987. So he was being prepped for surgery and nurse asked him, is there anything that you can't take? He said, country music. Sir Winston Churchill's last words were, I'm bored with it all. One of the most encouraging uh, group or phrases of last words that I saw came from the blues guitarist and singer-songwriter Bo Diddley. As he was dying, he was listening to the song Walk Around Heaven, and he gave the thumbs up and said, wow. I wonder what he saw right before he took his last breath on this earth. And Jesus, when he was on the cross, his last words were these, and you find them in Luke chapter 23. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. We're actually gonna read those words here in a few moments, but Jesus, as he was hanging on the cross, there were seven things that he said, seven last sayings, and uh, as he died there on the cross. We're gonna focus our attention on the first of those last sayings, and that also was found in Luke chapter 23, where Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. This is a, a phrase, a, a, a sentence from Jesus' mouth that has caught my attention, especially over the last decade. As Jesus hung there on the cross, his focus was not on his pain and his suffering at that point. His focus was on us. Those who had sinned against him, those who had sinned against his father, he had come to die for us, and he recognized that in our sin, we didn't know what we were doing. And so let's read that passage of scripture together. It's Luke chapter 23. I'm gonna read from verse 32 down through verse 42. The word of God says this. Two others, criminals, were also led away to be executed with him. When they arrived at the place called the skull, they crucified him there. Along with the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. And then Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. And they divided his clothes and cast lots. The people stood watching and even the leaders were scoffing. He saved others. Let him save himself if this is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him. They came offering him sour wine and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. An inscription was above him. This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals hanging there began to yell insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other answered rebuking him. Don't you even fear God? Since we're under the same punishment, we're punished justly because we're getting back what we deserve for the things we did. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I tell you today, 
you will be with me in paradise. As we read that text, uh, as I, I pointed out, we see the first of Jesus' sayings there on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. That word, that little uh, word, them, is what has caught my attention. And over the, the years, I've begun to ask that question time and again, who are them? Who are those who Jesus is referring to? There were a lot of people around the foot of the cross at that point. There were the criminals, of course, who were being crucified on either side of him. There were those who were mocking him. There were those who came to see the spectacle. Uh, you even had his mom and her friends that were there mourning and weeping. And so who is it that you would identify as them, those who needed forgiveness at that moment? I want to just take a look at those characters that surrounded the cross that day as we examine that question. Because I believe as Jesus looked over those who were watching him die, he had all of us on his mind. First, you had the tormentors. These are the guys who actually performed the crucifixion. Those Roman soldiers who earlier that day who had uh, stripped him of all of his clothes and they had taken a cat of nine tails and whipped Jesus across the back until even his flesh had, had been ripped from him and his ribs and probably even his organs were exposed. His tormentors, those who drove the nails into his wrist and into his feet. Those who ripped the beard from his face those who spit on him. Maybe even those soldiers who were right there at that moment had just driven those, those spikes through his wrist, through his feet, and then hung him up on that cross to die. See, I believe that Jesus even had his tormentors on his mind when he looked at them and, and, and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Because they really didn't. The Roman soldiers weren't aware of the depth of their sin. They didn't realize who Jesus was and to whom they were, they were treating as a criminal, to them. He was just another criminal that they'd been charged to put to death. So certainly, those Roman soldiers didn't know what they were doing. They mocked him, scourged him, beat him, and Jesus looked down upon them with a heart of forgiveness. There were others there. There were other soldiers that were there at the foot of the cross. Those soldiers who were, had taken Jesus' clothes off of him and they had divided up his garments between them, but there was one special garment, his outer garment, that they were casting lots for. See, they weren't concerned about the man who was dying, nor were they concerned about those mourners, Jesus' mother and his friends who were there weeping over him. They had one thing on their mind, material goods, <laughs> worldly gain. What could they get off of this man who was dying? I wonder if they had also taken the clothes and, and, and the, the goods of the two criminals who died there with Jesus. Because all that they were focused on was material gain. They were focused on the things of this world that, that they could gain for themselves to make themselves a little bit richer a, a little bit further ahead in this world. See, this world is filled today with those who are out for material gain. In fact, uh, sadly, 
Many who even claim to be preachers of the gospel simply are doing it for material gain. We live in a world that's oftentimes more concerned about the the status of our bank accounts or how big our house is or how nice our vehicles are than about the quality of our character. And so Jesus looked down upon them and us who care more about worldly goods and pleasure in this life and he cries out, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And surely we don't. Oftentimes it's what we see, what we can touch and feel and grab a hold of that that we measure our success by, that we measure our ourselves by, and yet those things are not lasting. All of the world's material goods one day are going to be absolutely worthless. In fact, Jesus asked the disciples a question one time. He said, how much is your soul worth? And what would you give in exchange for your soul? Would you, would you give in exchange the entire world for your soul? See, the bottom line is, even if you were to gain all of the wealth in this entire world, when we take that last breath, we'll be left without if we have not turned our eyes toward Jesus. So Jesus looks down upon a world who pursues material gain and says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. There were others at the foot of the cross, one including the betrayer, Now, there's a couple of these that that weren't directly there at the cross in that moment, but I I believe that Jesus had Judas on his mind. Jesus had spent three years with Judas Iscariot. Jesus had taught Judas. Jesus had loved Judas. Jesus had even invested uh, time and and training in Judas. Judas had become the the treasurer, the trusted accountant for Jesus' band of disciples as they went about their business. And so Jesus loved him and, and, and desired to see him have all of the good things that the heavenly father would offer. And yet, Judas betrayed Christ. In fact, it was just a few hours before in his final betrayal that Judas had led the, the priest and the, the Roman soldiers out to the Garden of Gethsemane where he knew Jesus would be praying. And he walked up to Jesus and placed a kiss on his cheek. And Jesus said, Judas, you're betraying me with a kiss. See, Jesus still loved Judas. Jesus loves those, even those who turn their backs on him, even those who betray him. One of my favorite texts in Romans is Romans 5, 8, where scripture says that God demonstrated his own love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we had our backs turned on God, he sent his son to die for us. And even if we betray him, he still loves us. And I believe that Judas was on the mind of Christ when Jesus said, Father, forgive him. He doesn't know what he's doing. But not just Judas, all the rest who would eventually betray him. There was another man who wasn't right there at that time because he also was unfaithful. And that was one of Jesus' three most trusted disciples, Peter, a man who just the day before had said, no one will be able to take your life. I'll take a stand for you. In fact, even in the garden after Judas had betrayed him, 
Peter pulled out a sword and chopped off an ear of one of the, the soldiers, uh, uh, lieutenant, so to speak, one of the young men who had come to arrest Jesus. And Peter, while Jesus was, was being uh, taken into trial, Peter was asked three different times, aren't you one of them? Aren't you one who was with the Galilean? Weren't you with Jesus? And three times, each time more fervently, Peter said, no, I don't even know him. So here Peter, who had been one of the three closest followers of Christ, denied even knowing him. You know, there's times in our lives when, when we struggle we face difficulties, maybe we're challenged by our faith, and we're tempted, and maybe even there's times when we deny him. See, I know that Jesus loved Peter. You see Jesus' love for Peter expressed later on in John chapter 20 and 21. You see Peter's love for Jesus restored and renewed. I believe that even as Jesus was hanging on that cross after he had taken that beating, he had Peter on his mind. And he had all of us who deny him at one point in our lives when he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Fifth, we have those who are unfaithful. See, most of the rest of the disciples had fled the scene. Peter denied him. Judas had betrayed him. But what about the other 10? Scripture at one point says that they all had disappeared. At another point, we know that John, one of the other three who was close to Jesus, he came back to the cross. And the reason we know that is because of in one of the other last of the seven sayings of Jesus, he sees John down there at the foot of the cross standing next to his mother, and, and he tells John to take care of his mom. And he tells his mom to depend on John. But what about the other nine? Where did they go? Scripture says they fled. They were scared. They were fearful. And because of their fear, and their confusion, and their weakness, their faith waned, and they disappeared. They became unfaithful to Jesus. You know, I, I think as we walk through these, there's, there's not a lot of us that can identify with the tormentors of Christ. And, and maybe... Those who have a relationship with Christ really don't identify with Judas, but certainly we can identify with these disciples. There are times when we're afraid and we won't declare our faith. We run and hide. In fact, the scripture says that after Jesus died, they locked themselves away in an, in an upper room and they hid for fear of what the authorities might do to them. They absolutely abandoned him at his greatest time of need and while he was in the grave, they went and hid. All of us at some point, because, we're, because of our fear, maybe we're confused about the circumstances of life. You know, right now, as we walk through this, this challenging time of the, the pandemic in our nation, the, the economic collapse, many without jobs, uh, fear can run rampant. And it's easy to let our faith fade and fall away. Now, certainly fear is the enemy of faith, but I would also declare that faith is the enemy of fear. When we put our faith and trust in Christ, it'll drive fear out of our lives. 
And I believe that at that moment as Jesus hung on the cross and he cried out those first words, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing, that he had his disciples on his mind. But I also believe that he had us on his mind. He knew that one day, 2,000 years later, in fact, probably several times, that a young man whom he loved named Dennis would one day become afraid and, and, and refused to take a stand or refused to declare his name. And Jesus looked forward to me and said, Father, forgive him. He doesn't know what he's doing. Then we have the religious, the leaders there. The scripture says in verse 35 that the leaders scoffed at Jesus. You know, oftentimes it are those who are the most religious that are the most difficult to reach with the gospel. It's those who, who feel like that they're okay, who they're good people. They do good things. Dr. Jack McGorman, a longtime professor at Southwestern Seminary, said in one of the, the classes I sat under him and, and we, was, we were studying Romans chapter two, he said, tears of repentance will more, were more, more quickly roll down the cheeks of a harlot than down the cheeks of a religious man. And I believe that to be true. It was the religious leaders who led in the crucifixion of Christ. It was those who knew scripture, those who had memorized the Old Testament, those who thought that they were more righteous than Jesus because of how they obeyed the rules of the Sabbath. And, and they could sit back and they could look at Jesus' life and they could pick apart every little thing that he had done wrong and the entire time missed the fact that he was the son of God who had stepped out of heaven, who had walked on this earth, who had humbled himself to take on the form of a man and ultimately humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. Those religious leaders who claimed that they were looking for the Messiah missed him because they were caught up in their religion. And I believe that Jesus that day died for the religious also. See, the truth is, it doesn't matter how religious we are, we can't do enough good deeds. We can't be good enough to, to measure up to a standard worthy of Christ. We will never be holy. And so scripture tells us that our only hope of eternal life, our only hope of forgiveness is that we have our sins cleansed by the blood of Christ. Exactly what he was doing those moments on the cross when he gave his life for you and for me. So as Jesus was lifted up and first began to hang on that cross, I believe that Jesus was looking out at them, the religious who had missed him. Certainly, I believe in the years to come, some of those religious men found forgiveness. I'm sure some of them didn't. Just like in our time, there are those who pursue religion and they're so caught up in their religion that they will never find that true relationship that the, the King of kings and Lord of lords desires to have with us because we're so caught up in our own religion and what we can do to try to get to God. See, the bottom line is, there's no way that we can get to God. There's no way we could lift ourselves high enough. Our only hope is that God came to
to us. And he did it through Jesus, his son. But see, there's a, another group, and this is the last group that certainly, whether we identify with the, the deniers, or we identify with the unfaithful, or we identify with the religious, or we identify with, with the tormentors, certainly there's another group who was there at the foot of the cross, and you see them in verse, verse 35. The scripture tells us that the people stood watching. Those people, those unanimous, unnamed people represent every single one of us. All of us need the forgiveness that Jesus offers on the cross. All of us. There, there is no middle position. We all sinned against God. We all are dead in our trespasses and sins. And when God sent his son to die on a cross that we might experience life eternal, he offers that gift to every single one of us. The people stood watching as Jesus hung on the cross and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The them in this text is you and me. We don't know what we're doing without Christ. We don't know how to get to heaven. We don't know how to truly love unselfishly. We don't. And Jesus knew that. And when he hung on the cross, we were on his mind. And he says, Father, forgive them. Now the truth is that Jesus offered that forgiveness for all. I believe that that night when or that afternoon when Jesus shed his blood on that cross, Christ died for all. John tells us early in his gospel that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Christ died offering forgiveness to all, to the deniers, to the betrayers, to the tormentors, to the unfaithful, and to us, Christ died for all of us. And he offers us this incredible gift of eternal life through his blood that he shed there on the cross. But we have to make a choice. We can continue in our denial, we can continue in our unfaithfulness, or we can turn to him. And that choice is nowhere better pictured for us than it is there in this very text. In the last part of this passage that we read, the scripture said that as he died on the cross with that sign above his head, the king of the Jews, one of the criminals who was hanging there next to him began to yell insults at him. And he said, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other answered, rebuking him. Don't you even fear God since you are undergoing the same punishment? We're punished justly because we're getting back what we deserve for the things we did. This man has done nothing wrong. You had two responses that represent the response of the entire world. You had a criminal on the left and the criminal on the right. And one of those criminals looked at Jesus in his self-righteous indignation and says, save us in yourself. Who are you? He says, aren't you supposed to be the Messiah? 
and he mocks Jesus along with the rest of the crowd. You know, in our world of social media, people become even more emboldened behind their keyboards and screens. And it's oftentimes in the comment sections when you post something about your faith or about Christ that people will mock you incessantly. It's those people also who Jesus died for, and yet they continue to deny him at their own demise. But there's a criminal on the other side of the cross that looks to Jesus. And first he speaks to the, to the criminal across the way, and he says, don't you even fear God? Don't you see what's happening here? Jesus died unjustly. Jesus is hanging here. He doesn't deserve to die, but you and I do. And in those moments, that criminal recognized that he was a sinner. He recognized that he was helpless. He recognized that he was hopeless. He recognized that Jesus was the Messiah. And so he looks to that middle cross. And he cries out with a simple confession and cry for forgiveness when he says, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. So you have those two responses, those who refuse to accept the purpose that Jesus served there on the cross, those who refuse to accept his sacrifice for their sins. And then you have others who would look to that middle cross, who would look to Christ, knowing that we're sinners, knowing that we're lost, knowing that we're in need, and ask for his forgiveness, to, to ask for him to look upon us with mercy and Jesus' response, of course, was very predict predictable. He simply looked to the one who had asked for mercy and extended it. And Jesus said, today, you will be with me in paradise. See, Jesus didn't look to the guy on the other side. He didn't look at him with condemnation and mock him back. He didn't need to. That man had brought judgment upon himself. He simply had embraced the judgment that he deserved. He was gonna receive it. It was the man who looked to Jesus for help and for hope that received that gift of forgiveness that Jesus offered. And the promise to that man was, today you will be with me in paradise. As Jesus looked down from the cross and he offered forgiveness for all of mankind, to them, to us. He gives you an opportunity. He's given me an opportunity to enter into a, a relationship with him that, that cannot be severed, that is eternal. We have two choices. We can deny it, we, we can refuse to believe, we can refuse to accept, we can even mock what Christ did on the cross, or we can recognize that we deserve to die. Because of our, our sin, we deserve punishment. And we can look to Jesus on that middle cross and say, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. The promise of God's word is, if we will do just that, he will extend that forgiveness to us, our sins will be cleansed and we will be with him in paradise. When we speak our last words on this earth and take our last breath here, we'll wake up in the presence of God. 
As we close out, my prayer is that you would make the decision of that thief. Recognize that you're a sinner, that you need Christ, and put your full faith and trust in Christ, what he did on the cross for your sin, for your sin that you might have eternal life. We live in uncertain days, uncertain times, and we don't know what tomorrow holds. The, the, the COVID virus is getting closer and closer to home all the time. Each day I hear of people that have, have uh, family members or friends who have, received, who have the virus and some who have died. Ultimately, we never really know what tomorrow holds, but we do know who holds tomorrow. And that is our God, our King, who offers us forgiveness and eternal life. He's just waiting for you to believe and accept it. If you don't know for sure, if you were to die today, that you'd spend eternity with God, if you don't know for sure that you would step into paradise with the King of kings and Lord of lords, I plead with you as you hear this message on this Good Friday, that you reach out to someone around you that you know is a follower of Christ. If you don't know anyone, reach out to us here at First Baptist Watauga. You can find us on our website, on our Facebook page. There'll be information that comes along with this video. You respond. Don't wait, but put your trust in the Christ that offers forgiveness for all of us. Thank you. God bless you.